Years ago, uh, Jamie and I, uh, when we first became new parents, <clears throat> our son, he was a miracle kid. We weren't able to have children, and God healed us at a, at a conference, and, and we conceived, and so Cohen came along. And, um, uh, but he was very colicky, and those of you that have kids, colicky is basically their little system is so upset, and he's just miserable all the time. And I don't know how many weeks old he was, but um, uh, Jamie had had him all through the night, and he wouldn't go. He, she just couldn't get him settled. He whined. He cried. And, and, and this, the stress of that, and at 6 a.m. every day, uh, we were pastors, and, and so uh, we were young adult pastors at a real big church. And so our pastor wanted us at this 6 a.m. prayer meeting every, every day. And so I'll never forget, uh, Jamie, it's, it could have been 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. It, wasn't, it, it, was, it was a long night. And Jamie had gone in the other room with him to try to get him to go to sleep, and he wouldn't go to sleep, and he's just squalling and squalling and squalling. Bless his little heart, his little system. And, and so somewhere about 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm passed out in the bed because I have to be at a prayer meeting at 6 a.m., and, and my life must be more important anyway. And so, and so she's in the other room with this baby, wah, wah, and it's been four, five, six, seven hours, however long she's been dealing with this child, and he won't go to sleep. All I know is she kicks up, no, she doesn't, she, she opens the door to the bedroom, throws on the light, comes walking up, is standing over me with this baby, wah, 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 and I look up at her, and she goes, it's your problem, and she walks off, right, like that, right, sets that kid down on me, and walks off. I've titled the message today, He Cares for You. We have a key verse that will make sense to that story. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. Father, I pray over the next couple moments, you help revelation come to these great men and women how much you care for us in Jesus' name. The word anxiety is defined as a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease. A feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease. Listen, we live in a generation right now that is so full of stress, worry, and unease. Multiple reasons, but especially when people are shooting up Walmart. And, and, and you're putting your kid in a school, and, and you, just, you just never know if somebody's going to lose their mind and start, or, you know, or if they're going to get pulled over and shot. Uh, you, you, all these different things go through our minds, and the anxiety, and the worry. And the Bible tells us clearly to cast our anxiety on him, for he cares for you. My goal in today's teaching is to help you understand that he actually cares about you. Would you turn to that person next to you and say, he cares for you? Would you say that? He ca- we turn on the other side and say, he cares for you too. Tell them that. Say, he cares for you too. Actually, Psalms 55, 22 says it like this. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. He cares about you. Sometimes we feel like God doesn't care about us. Sometimes we feel like, you know, uh, some of you are still working from an old dead religious concept that is not actually a relationship with the living God. And you think, if I do five good things and, 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 I, and, I, and I only do four bad things, then God's going to be pleased with me. Wait a minute, today I did five bad things and only two good things, so God's mad at me. That's why I got in the car accident. And that is dead religion. That is not accurate relationship with the living God. You need to understand today, and by the end of today's message, he cares for you. He loves you, not because you're good or bad. He loves you because you're his. I've taught you this before. I do that all the time with my wife and my kids. I'll ask them, who loves you? They'll say, dad, 
And I ask them why. And they know to say, because I'm yours. That's right. Yeah, when you're bad, I spank you because I don't want you to be a crazy person. I want you to actually be a viable part of our society. So I'm teaching you lessons. I don't enjoy spanking you. I don't enjoy disciplining you. But I know that has to be done so that you can be a valuable part of our society. I love you if you make mistakes. I love you if you're doing good. If you're doing bad, it doesn't matter. You are mine. And because you're mine, I take responsibility for you. He cares for you because you're his. Not because you're good or bad. And until you get that revelation, you will always look at the scripture as a bunch of do's and don'ts. You'll read the Bible and say, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I can't ever do that. Oh, my goodness. You'll, you'll, you'll hear sermons and go, oh, my goodness. I'm just, oh, I got to fix that. I got to work on that. And the reason that is is because you still don't get it. He cares for you. He loves you not because he ha- has to, but because he does. He picked you. He chose you. He likes you. You, in all of your weirdness and all of your goofiness, he likes you. He created you, and he's in love with you. He cares about you. But what's happened for most of us is we live a life full of anxiety, worry, uh, you know, stress. And the reason that is because we don't know how to cast our cares upon him. In fact, we don't even think he cares about us. And I want to take you to a moment with the disciples in the book of Mark chapter 4, if you'll turn there quickly with me. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35 We'll see this engagement that Jesus has with his own disciples. And they've been with him for some time now. They've seen him do great miracles. And they're in this boat, and they're heading to the other side. So let's pick up in verse 35. It says, That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Verse 36, Leaving the crowd behind, they took him alone, just as he was in the boat. And there... Uh, There were also other boats with them. Verse 37, a furious squall came up. And that's not an Indian girl. That's talking about the weather, okay? So, uh, furious, that was funnier than y'all laughed. I'm going to just tell you that right now. That's just the middle picture of that is hilarious. Okay, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was asleep in in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? They don't think he cares. Their opening statement is not, hey, we're in trouble. Their opening statement is, don't you care? What's wrong with you? You sleep down in the boat. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still! Then he... The wind died down, and it was completely calm. If you'll keep reading, their response to him is like, you must be God. Like I've been trying to tell you, stupid. Yes. So in this engagement, it's pretty amazing because now these on this boat is a couple professional fishermen. They understand boating. They understand weather. They know that you don't go out if there's a potential storm coming out on a large body of water like this. There's no way to survive it. They didn't have motors on these boats. They, they didn't have GPS. You get in a great storm, you're counting on oars and wind and sails, and you're trying to work this thing. And it's a lot of, I mean, it's all manual labor. There's no, there, there's no mechanics involved in this other than you know what you do and, and with your own hands. And so this, they're out on this water, and unbeknownst to them arises this furious squad. They don't see it coming. They don't know that the bad weather is upon them. And these are men who know how to read the signs of the weather because they've been fishing since they were little boys. This is what they've done as a profession. A couple of the guys in this boat, and they're probably in charge of this outing, if you will. 
And Jesus has been preaching and ministering and is exhausted. So he lays down in the stern. He finds him a pillow. And he just... Now, at what point should he have woken up? You know, at first, I'm sure it started just with some, with some wind. Started come, then the waves started getting choppy. If you've ever been out in the boat and the waves started getting choppy, you're like, whoa, this is not good. Then it says it turns into a furious squall. So you've got lightning. You've got thunder. You've got, you've got waves that are crashing, not just against the boat, but over into the boat. And you're talking about this little 15-man boat, and all of a sudden now water is filling up, and, and boats don't float with water in them. I mean, so, so water's crashing in, and up until this point, they've been taking care of it. They got it. When the winds were a little bit bad, they just kind of adjusted the sails. As, as, as it started getting dark, they you know, started figuring out, we got to get our course direction and set that, and not miss out on that. And they've been working it, and then all of a sudden, they get to the place where they are going to drown. We're all going to die. And what do they do? Then and only then do they go wake Jesus. And their opening statement is, don't you care? Don't you care? I would imagine Jesus looking at him like, stupid. Of course I care. Why would you open with that question? And look what he does. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't say, you're such an idiot. He doesn't do any of that. He just stands up and he goes, hey, when? Stop. Be quiet. (laughs) Katrina. (laughs) Cricket, cricket. All right, guys, y'all got it. And he lays back down, I imagine. Here's the thing you got to understand, and and this is how I view this, is is that once the storm was raging, see, I think they misinterpreted Jesus's confidence for a lack of care and concern. See, can I help you with something? Jesus, they got this. I think his attitude is, you got this, bro. Y'all know what y'all doing? Come on, you watch me minister. You know how to pray for people. You know how to pray against things like this. I've already empowered you. I I trust you. Years ago, I was watching this documentary uh, about the naval plane, you know, that, you know, their whatever, you know, uh, you know, combat plane and they had these two different companies here in the United States they were bidding for the you know the opportunity to build that plane to get that contract with the navy and and so it was back and forth between these two companies one of which is here locally and uh, and they showed them from from the from the moment they got the blueprints and they designed it and then they fabricated it and then they put all the systems in it and then as i picked up in the documentary at this critical point they now are going to test pilot it they're going to test it they're going to see if it really was any good. And, and I just started thinking about that dude who's the test pilot, like that guy. That guy's crazy, right? Because he doesn't know. No one's taken this thing up 30, 40,000 feet in the air yet. It's worked on, on the ground. They, they've got the engine started. All the systems seem, seem to work. But he's got to get that sucker wet. He doesn't even know if the ejection seat's going to work properly. It's all to be Tested. See, sometimes we don't like being tested because we're like, we, I don't I don't know God put me to the title. Well, you got to understand the reason why they have to test that thing. And what they did was they, they started interviewing the different employees and they were just talking about how the CEO was just driving and driving. And he was so hard to work for because he wanted excellence and excellence and excellence and excellence. So then they interviewed the CEO. And he said, you got to understand something. Yeah, I'm pushing them. Number one, we got to get this contractor. We won't have a job. And number two, the reason why I'm pushing them is because this, this prototype, if it doesn't work, if there's something wrong with it, 
then all the other ones that we produce will have the same thing wrong with it and we'll have to recall the whole thing. We are testing it, putting the pressure on it because we want to reproduce it. If you're going through something and you feel pressure, it's not because God has abandoned you or doesn't care for you. God is just the opposite. I trust them because I am watching them, who they are and what they are. I want that to be able to be reproduced. See, you and I, God looks at us and he says, I believe in you. I trust in you. You're my son. You're my daughter. And so you say, man, I'm just going through this. Why do I keep going through things? Maybe it's not because you're bad or good or because life is bad or good. Maybe it's simply because you are so amazing and that Jesus looks at you and says, I I believe in you because I want to reproduce what you are, what you're learning and what you're going through in others. And we miss that sometimes. And so Jesus isn't worried about it one bit. He's not worried. He's He's passed out. And then they look at him, they shake him, and they, don't you care for us? You need to understand, Jesus does care about you. He cares that your car won't start on Monday morning. He cares that you hadn't talked to your adult son and your grandkids in two years. He cares about that. He cares that you're still having pain every morning when you get up in those knees and those ankles. He cares about that. And it's my job today to help you see how much he cares to understand that not only does he care, but he has the ability to help you through it. And many times we don't get that. In fact, I want to teach you how you and I can invoke Jesus's actions of care or his care action, as I'm calling it. How to evoke Jesus' care action. First Peter chapter five is real clear and gives us some real understanding on that. Turn there with me. First Peter chapter five, verses six and seven. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. That he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety. What Jamie did in that moment was she casted all her anxiety on me. She's like, here, you taking this sucker. I'm out. I'm going to bed. What I did tell you was after she left, I sat there and I prayed in the spirit. And I worshiped and he passed out within five minutes. I just want to bring that out that I was just (laughs) able to. That's not true. In fact, I asked Jamie if I could tell the story last night. She says, I don't know if I want you to tell the story. I said, well, why? She goes, because you don't tell it right. She says, you make me sound like I came and threw the baby at you, and then you, and you magically made him go to sleep. I was like, well, that's how I remember it. <laughs> yes, yeah, she goes, that's not what really happened. So in that story, there's some real truths in there. So first thing that we learn to do here in invoking Jesus' care, according to 1 Peter chapter 5, is humble yourself. Humble yourself. Here's the problem with most of us. We're already 17 exit down the highway before we ask for help. Our exit in this situation was way back there. But because we're Americans, we don't ever ask for help for anything. See, for example, you don't ever ask for healing because you have a doctor that you go to. You never ask for God to settle your heart and your mind because you'll just go pay a counselor to talk to. As Americans, we, we think that we can fix it all ourselves. And, and that works against the very nature of what God set up to be in relationship with you. He wants you to call upon him. In fact, Jesus, do you think that Jesus didn't feel that boat shaking all over? The, boom, boom, boom. Now, how do you sleep in that? You say, man, he must have took some good stuff. No, what happened was is that Jesus is okay in who he is. He's not worried about nothing because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Why was he not worried and anxious? That's what you were mad about. How come you're not anxious? How come you don't have anxiety and worry? Don't you care? He's like, I don't think you know who I am. I'm not worried about nothing. 
Because I am about to defeat sickness, the grave, sin. I'm going to go down in hell and beat the face in of every satanic power. And then I'm going to resurrect. So this ain't not. Hold on. Just so you want. I got this. Stop, Storm. Okay, y'all going back doing what you do. I'm going to lay back down. Why? Because he has no anxiety. And until they humbled themselves, they had anxiety. The moment they stopped and said, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, we need you. The moment they stopped and humbled themselves. Can I tell you something? You keep trying to fix your marriage. What's it done for him, sweetheart? You keep telling him 17 things he needs to do better. How has that fixed anything? You need to humble yourself and say, God, I need you. Only you can fix this. All that that you've been worrying about, day in and day out, about that kid. And it had, you hadn't fixed one thing. The Bible actually he says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about so many things. They don't matter. They don't matter. See, what you and I have to learn to do is humble ourselves. And you've got this anxiety that's just stirring, running on your hard drive. Day in and day out, you've got this anxiety. And it's affecting everyone around you. You don't even realize it's affecting you and stress and turmoil and frustration. All because you won't humble yourself. Here's the second thing it teaches us to do. And it says, cast your anxiety on him. Cast your anxiety on him. Can I tell you what most people do? They cast their anxiety on everyone around them. You come to church and you want to cast your anxiety on us. And listen, I, I, I'm not strong enough to carry your anxiety. There's only one who can carry it. His name is Jesus. He died on a cross. He stretched out his arm. He said, bring it to me. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. This scripture is teaching us, cast all of your anxiety, all your worries, all your fears, all your frustrations. Cast it on me, he says, because I care for you. So you cast it on Pastor Adam. I, I love you, but I don't care for you like he cares for you. Why? Because I can't fix what only he can fix. You keep casting it on your wife thinking she can fix it. You keep putting that on her, putting it on her, and she can't fix it. You keep putting it on him, keeping it on him. He can't, you keep putting it on everyone else. And, and, and I, I know why. For some of us, the reason why we do that is because, because drama has become our identity. We like the drama. It's, it, it makes us feel like, like we're alive. And we want to be able to show up at small group and be able to tell them about how bad life is. Because that value, that gives me value. And really, that's crazy. All that drama that you keep creating is simply because you, A, won't humble yourself, and B, you won't throw that anxiety on Jesus. He is the only one who can carry that. He's the only one you keep trying to carry. In fact, I teach people all the time, part of the reason why you feel spiritually burned out, I call them spiritual hernias. A hernia is a tear on your insights because you've been picking up things you shouldn't have been picking up. And some of you have spiritual hernias because you've been carrying burdens that you can't, you can't change the president. The Bible says for us to pray for our leaders. You, you, you're not going to change. You're not going to change that person over here and this person. The Bible says, "Cry out to the Lord and pray for them, and then do good to those who do evil to us." You keep carrying all of this stuff. How are you going to change all that? God Himself tells you and me, "Throw the burden on me. Cast it. On, cast all that on me. I'm big enough. I can handle it. I can fix. I can say to. I can say to Hurricane Katrina, stop. I can say to the storms, be no more. Be quiet. Be still. You can't do it in your own strength. You keep trying to do it like that, and that's why you're so full of worry and doubt and unbelief. And that's all comes down to one revelation: you don't really believe that He cares for you. You don't really believe it, because when you believe He cares for you, then you don't live in worry doubt, stress, anxiety. Because you know this, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I love Jesus. He loves me. I will spend eternity with him. And everything else, as we say in French, is lanyap, which means something extra doesn't really matter. It don't really matter. It's lanyap. We don't care. At the end of the day, 
If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then I love that scripture. Says, why do the nations rage? Why do the nations rage? Why are all upset about all this stuff? Everybody's all, and can I tell you, we live in a, in a time right now where people are getting shot in Walmart, dropping kids off at school. You don't know what's going to happen there. And so that anxiety can begin to dominate. And it's a plan of the enemy to keep you from putting your trust in the Lord. Which brings me to the third thing. So number one, humble yourself. Number two, cast your anxiety on him. And then number three, put your confidence in his ability. Would you answer this for me? Is there anything God can't do? Well, he can't lie. God can, God, God can turn around that old angry husband of yours. God can fix that boss who's stingy and rude and a God God has the ability to fix these things. I want to show you how much you need to learn to put your confidence in the Lord. In the book of Zechariah, chapter 3 is what we're going to look at here in just a moment. book of Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah has these visions from the Lord. Uh, The children of Israel are coming out of exile, tribe of Judah specifically, the group Judah. And Zechariah has these words from God. God says, tell them this. And that's really what the book is about, the book of Zechariah. In that, God is trying to help Judah understand that he's going to reestablish Israel, reestablish his people, that they are going to come back together after being exiled, and that they have the ability to accomplish it, and that he set leaders in their midst that he wants to lead out. And Zechariah sees Joshua, who is to be the leader at this time. But obviously the people are struggling to believe in Joshua. And let me, let's pick up and read in chapter 3 and verse 1 what, what the prophet sees. He says, and then he showed me Joshua, Zechariah 3. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, and the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. This is not, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing there before the angel. And he answered and he spoke to those who stood before him saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, see I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. You got to understand something. What this is, is what, what, what he saw was Satan standing there and saying, look, how, how can you use Joshua God? He, he, he's looking at porn the other day. How can he be a man of God? How can, Satan's accusing, like he always says, how can he do that? How can you let him lead out? He, 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 doesn't, even, he doesn't even believe his own, his own faith. He's struggling to even show up at church all day long, every, every week. He's this, he's this, and he's accusing. And the, finally, the Bible says, the Lord says, shut up, Satan. Shut up. He's mine. I have plucked him out of the fire. Yeah, but what about his clothes? He's got dirt all over. How can he be a righteous leader? God says, oh, shut up. Hey, go change out his clothes. I'm making him righteous in this moment. See, many of you have a hard time trusting in the Lord because you look at your own sin. And you say, well, see, I, I can't be accepted because I'm a sinner. I, I keep making this mistake, and I keep making this mistake. And I would say to you the same thing that Satan, that Jesus, uh, excuse me, the Lord said to Satan. Shut up, Satan. Shut up. He's mine. She's mine. I will clean her up. I will fix her. I will work with her. I care for her. I will use her. You don't get to pick and choose who I use, Satan. You don't get to bring an accusation again. Shut up because they are mine. You need to understand no matter what you're going through, no matter how many times you fail the Lord, you are his. He loves you not because you're good or bad. He loves you because you're his. And until you get that revelation, once you understand I'm his, then you have to accept the next part of that revelation, and that is, and he cares about me. Because if you're his, what kind of God says he's mine, but I'm going to let him fail? What kind of God says, I love her, but I don't really care for her. I hope she makes it. 
That's not the God we serve. He says, I care for you. Cast all your anxiety on me because I care for you. He says, guys, what are y'all worried about? I got this stop, storm, cease, be no more. Now, let's go back to getting across the lake. Let's go. So you and I have to get this revelation of not only does he love you, but he cares about what you care about. Oh, I'll never forget the first day dropping my little man off at school. That first day, as you bring him into the classroom, and they're real nervous. Hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And I'm looking at my wife. This ain't going to be great. And he's sitting around looking and seeing if there's any kids that are going to be nice. And then, and then it's, okay, it's time to go. And he turned around. Big tears are coming down. His and he started going down with that lip. And I'm like, no, I'm going to homeschool you forever. Come back. That, that moment of a father's love, I care that he don't want to be there. Oh, but I care more about the fact that if I don't let him learn this lesson, he'll be some weird person who can't ever leave his house. Right? Like he's got to face this. And I want to do it for you, but I can't. And so sometimes we misunderstand God and trusting us with the fact that God doesn't care about us. And it's just the opposite. He cares about you so much. He believes that you can be nice to your spouse. He believes it. So I don't even believe it, but he does. He believes in you. And even when you don't believe in yourself. Number one, we've got to humble ourselves. Number two, We've got to cast all that anxiety on him. Stop putting it on everybody else. You, 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 stop making that your identity. Stop throwing on, they're killing your spirit. Your small group leader can't carry that. Your spouse hasn't been able to carry all that junk. You're killing yourself trying to carry it. Suffering in silence. Cast your anxiety, your worry, your cares on the Lord. And then put your trust in him. Some of you struggle to put your trust. I want to give you a passage of scripture that sustains me whenever I don't feel like I have trust in the Lord. I want to turn you to Psalms 91, and every Christian should have this marked in their Bible. If you could memorize it, it would change your life. Psalms 91, I'm going to read a whole chapter of the Bible right here, right now. Church, and I'm in church, praise God. Psalms 91, look what it says. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He'll save me from the fowler's snare, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers. Under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right side, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift up your heads, their heads, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. 
Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him. I will protect him. I will protect him. I will protect him. For he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will answer him. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. Will I satisfy him and show my salvation? Dear God, you ought to get excited about the word. He loves you. This is a promise he makes to you. I will, I will say to the pestilence, you can't even come near her. Get off of her. You got to understand. Say, I just struggle to believe that because I went through this and I went through that and I went through this and that. Friend, can I explain something to you? You're still standing. Right? Oh, my goodness. The first time they hit my son with a baseball, he was standing there in the little league, and they hit him. I wanted to go kill the kid. I will kill that kid. That kid didn't mean it. He's, he's 11 years old, 10 years old. Got away from me. God allows you and I to walk it out. But when we cry out to him, he comes, and he grabs us up. And he tells the storm, stop. And when Satan's accusing and saying, you're not good enough and you can't serve the Lord and you've blown it too many times and you've messed over this, and he says to him, shut up. He's mine. I plucked him out of the fire. Yes, his garments are dirty. Clean, clean up his garments. Come on, I got you, baby boy. It's okay. I'm going to use you to lead our nation. I want you to understand something today. God cares for you. He cares that your car won't start. It's a big deal to him too. He cares that your child has a learning disability. He cares about that. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Cast your anxiety on him. Learn to embrace the fact that he's there protecting you and watching over you. He cares. He cares that you don't have enough money in the bank to pay the the light note. He cares about that. You say, I don't know if he does. That's your problem. That's why you got to get back to Psalms 91. You need to start quoting it every day. You need until you get a revelation that he cares for you. At the same time, he trusts you. He trusts you. He try, he'll give you ideas. He trusts that you'll go do them. He'll give you thought process and trust that you'll walk it out and start walking in integrity and character. He trusts that you'll keep learning and developing as you grow in your relationship with him. Hundreds of years ago when the Cherokee roamed this land, and we're a powerful nation. They had a rite of passage for their young men. They would take their young men and they would walk them through this rite of passage, very well known in, in their culture. Hundreds of years ago, a dad would take a young boy who was coming to a rite of manhood and they would take him through a test to see if they were worthy to be considered a young warrior. To be able to fight. It would start with the other men. To have their own teepee, if you will. Their own family. It would start with this process. The father would take that young boy. Out in the middle of the wilderness. Way away from all the family. A day's journey out into the wilderness. In the deep portions of the forest. Where the Kodiak live. Where the mountain lions dominate. That dad would take that little boy and put him out in the middle of the forest and sit him down on a stump. Give him no knife, no bow and arrow, no weapon of any kind. 
look deep into his eyes and say, son, tonight is your journey towards manhood. If you survive the night, then you'll be accepted as one of the warriors. You'll be accepted as a man in our tribe. But if the Kodiak kills you, and if the mountain lion rips your throat open, then we'll acknowledge that you were not man enough to survive. That the gods looked upon you as a weak one. And therefore, could not be a part of our tribe. And then the dad would make the trek out of that forest. Turn his back on that little boy. Darkness would begin to settle. And when you're in the deep forest, you can't see the stars because of the canopy of the trees. Can you imagine that first hour of darkness when critters are rustling around in the brush? Can you imagine knowing how quick a mountain lion can sneak up on you? Defenseless, weaponless, only able by your senses to know all, but not able to see, but sensing that things are happening around you. Hearing the movement of a great bear in the forest. Potentially hunting your scent down, coming to kill you. The fear that that child would sit there and have to endure. Longing for the sun to come back up. Hoping beyond hope that he could survive the night. Not knowing, based on their culture, even what demons were going to come to the night and try to kill him. And then after hours and hours and hours of sheer terror, as the sunlight begins to kind of break through the trees a little bit. And the sun begins to come up. Off in the distance, a little boy see a figure. Just off in the distance, just almost out of sight, but right there on the edge of the view. And then the sun shines up, and then recognizing his dad has never left, but sat there through the night within earshot and within view of that boy. That boy thought he was all alone. But that father, weapons in hand, set their ever tent, intent on that boy's success. I want you to know, sometimes you may feel alone and that God's not there, but he hadn't left you. He hasn't walked back to the tribe days away, left you to defend for yourself. Oh, he's allowed you to feel like You're becoming a man, becoming a woman. But he's ever-present help in time of trouble. Always watching, always caring, always concerned about you. Had a bear come in the night, that boy wouldn't even have known. That dad would have snuck around and slit its throat before he got close to his son. Had he been attacked by wolves, that dad would have stood there beside him, fending them off. You need to understand and get this revelation. He cares for you. Why are you so full of stress and worry? Why are you so full of care and concern? Do you not know that he cares for you? Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. I want you to stand with me across the room today. I want you to stand, and I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. I want to minister to you for just a moment. It is a privilege to pastor mature Christians it's also a privilege to help people mature in their walk it's an honor 
to see you come out of diapers into the toddler stage and from the toddler stage into the young, young you know, adolescent stage and then into teenage years and then into adulthood. But I'll tell you something, even as an adult Christian, I constantly have to relearn this lesson to cast all my anxiety on him for he cares for me. Some of you have been carrying anxiety and it's killing you. You've been full of worry and doubt. What if this happens? And what if this happens? What, what if this doesn't go right? And what if, what if God doesn't? You've been doing that. It's killing you. Today, humble yourself. Say, God, I need you. Stop acting like an American who can fix it all. Say, God, I can't fix it. Stop waiting till you're so far down the mountain that we can't even turn it around. Stop being haughty and arrogant. You need God you need his help you cannot fix her sir you can't do it look what you've gotten so far you've only made it more messy sweet love you are killing yourself God will provide for your family he will take care of his own cast your cares on him right there with your head bowed and your eye closed, I want you to picture you taking that giant thing that is just, just caused you such stress. And I want you to picture taking it off of your shoulders and throwing it onto the cross. Miss Jamie held that baby as long as she could. She was exhausted. She was, she was in and out of delirium. She literally was, was losing her mind. And she came in and she set that child on my chest. She cast her cares on me. I want you to cast that thing on the Lord. I want you to set it on Him. And I want you to walk away. Picture yourself doing that in your heart, in your mind. Let the Lord have it. And then I want you to come back to the place where you completely entrust Him and His ability. Father, I pray right now for every man and woman in our church that have been carrying burdens that they shouldn't be carrying. For those who keep casting those burdens on their spouse, on their friends, their co-workers and they can't figure out why no one can help them it's because no one can help them you alone are big enough to carry that you alone have the solution to that Peter had already tried to get John to fix it and John couldn't fix it John had already tried to get Judas to fix it and they could not stop the storm they knew that there was one and Jesus in the blink of an eye you fixed it because you care for us that with your head bowed and your eye closed, I need you to receive his loving care for you. I need you to need his loving care for you. Stop trying to be the big boy and the big girl and receive his care, his loving care. I get it. Some of you basically raised yourself, so you don't even know what it is to be nurtured. Some of you had to nurture everyone else because nobody was responsible enough. But in this moment, you need to receive his care for you for he cares for you Jesus I thank you right now you're looking at Satan telling him shut up bring no accusation against her she's mine quiet yourself Satan he's mine I will cleanse his garments I'll put new garments on him sin may have stained those but I'll get him new ones Father I thank you right now in Jesus name for revelation of how much you care I ask you Lord I can't give it to him You've got to break past all the junk, all the false religion, 
all the way they were raised and show them how much you care for them and how you go about caring for them. Some of you shouldn't be alive. Some of you, are, as a young adult, were in mo- motorcycle accidents you shouldn't have survived. Some of you were in relationships you shouldn't have made it out of. That was his care. Some of you wanted that job so bad and you didn't get it. It's part of his care because he cares for you. Father, I thank you right now in Jesus' name that you care for us. Now, if you keep your head bowed for just a moment, maybe you'd say, Pastor, I got to be honest. I'm not a Christian. I, I don't know God, man. I mean, you talk about him, Pastor, like he's your best friend. That is so true. He is my best friend. Maybe today as you stand here, you recognize that you're away from God. I've got such good news for you. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You don't have to perform. You don't have to light any candles. You don't have to pay no money to the church. Jesus paid it all on the cross 2,000 years ago. See, every sin that you and I commit, every sin that you and I commit separates us from the living God. So Jesus stepped up and he said, I'll pay for that sin. And so literally, every sin you and I will ever commit has already been prepaid for. He paid it forward. I picture it like he's got an account with your name on it. It's it's this huge account. uh, Imagine if you were left billions of dollars. It's all been prepaid. He said, how do I access that account? Well, I just told you, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And then what happens is in that confession, in that believing, you and Jesus become best friends. He becomes he becomes your God. And that begins to adjust the way you think. It begins to shift who you are day after day as that relationship begins to grow. And you begin to mature in that relationship. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you say, Pastor, I'm away from God. I need Jesus. Then would you let me pray with you? I'm not going to call you forward. I don't, wanna, I don't need to point you out. I've got everybody's got their head bowed and their eye closed. But I need you to acknowledge that. I need you to own the fact that you need God in your life. And that you're ready to serve him. That you're ready to confess him as Lord. That you're ready to give him your life. With no one looking around, if that's you, pastor, that's me. It's time. I don't want to live like this anymore. I want God in my life. Would you let me pray with you right where you stand? I'm not going to call you for it. Just right where you stand. Would you admit that by lifting your hand and saying, pastor, that's me. Pray for me. I'm ready to get right. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Pray for me, pastor. It's time. I'm ready to be right with the Lord. I don't want to live like this anymore. Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else? Just a couple of seconds. You can put your hand back down once you lifted it. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. It's time. I'm ready. I want to serve God. I want God in my life. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you guys for being real and honest. I love you so much. Thank you. Amen. The old preacher said it like this. The doorknob is on your side. You've got to open it up and let him in. Anybody else willing to open the door and let Jesus in their life? Say, pray for me, Pastor. It's time. I'm ready. Amen. You can put your hands down. I want to lead you now in a prayer a confession with your mouth, a believing in your heart that he's the Christ. I'm going to ask everyone in the audience to pray out loud alongside of you. Those of you who lifted your hand, there's nothing magical about these words. What's supernatural is you say, I want God. And so I'm just going to lead you in a prayer of repentance. So would you pray it like this? Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. And I recognize I've sinned against you. And I ask you now to forgive me. Here and now, I receive what you did on the cross for me washing away every sin I embrace you as my Lord and Savior I declare Jesus is my Lord write my name 
in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm yours forever. In Jesus' name. Would you keep your head bowed for just a moment? Father, I pray for every man and woman who lifted their hand, who cried out to you with all sincerity. It's not a game to them. This was an eternal decision. God, I pray right now they would feel your peace. They'd feel your joy. The joy of being right with you. They don't have to, they don't have to walk out of here feeling shame anymore. Lord, we're all sinners. You've saved us all. Because we asked for forgiveness, you gave it to us. And Lord, I thank you that many have joined us in that today. And you are their Lord and Savior. From this point forward, I ask you that the joy of their salvation will become revelatory to them. Your word says there's a joy of being right with you. And I pray that that joy would drop deep into their, into their inner workings. And Jesus, I ask you to protect them. Watch over them. As they go today, God, I pray that every one of these who cried out to you, when the lies come, oh, you didn't mean it. Look at you looking at that porn again. Look at you just smoking that dope again. You didn't mean it. They said, whoa, 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 whoa. I may not be perfect, but I am forgiven. They'll get down on their knees and say, Lord, help me. And Lord, when the lie says, see, see, you know, do just like you did last time, they'll be going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I may make mistakes, but I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the Most High God. And he cleanses me and he makes me whole. Father, I pray these revelations would drop deep into their spirit. They would understand you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.